Good morning. I'm Steve Coleman, and I'm glad to be with you here this Sunday as we begin a new series in the book of Philippians. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt you needed guidance from God on what to do or what to say? Have you ever been afraid of making the wrong decision? I think we all would feel more comfortable if we knew exactly what God wanted us to do. I don't know about you, but I never had an email in my inbox or a note on my pillow from the Holy Spirit outlining exactly what I was supposed to get done that day. You know, as we look at the background of the book of Philippians, we're going to see a foundational principle that I think will change how we view God's guidance. This short letter was written by Paul when he was in prison in Rome, shortly before his death. To best understand what Paul writes in the letter, it would be helpful to know a few facts about the city. After that, I will guide you in a trip back in time to the founding of the church in Philippi in Acts 16. Let me tell you a few facts. Philippi is in the eastern Macedonia. That's modern-day Greece. It sits 10 miles inland from the Aegean Sea on a plain surrounded by mountains. A key trade route between Asia and the West ran through the city. In 42 BC, Mark Anthony and Octavius, later Augustus Caesar, combined forces to defeat the armies of Brutus and Cassius in Philippi. Cassius and Brutus, you'll remember, were assassins who killed Julius Caesar. In celebration of that victory, Philippi was made into a Roman colony. This enabled its inhabitants to have the rights and privileges usually granted those who lived in cities in Italy. Eleven years later, Octavian defeated the forces of Mark Antony and Cleopatra in a naval battle at Actium on the west coast of Greece. Octavian punished the supporters of Antony by evicting them from Italy and resettling them in Philippi. The vacated sites in Italy were then granted to Octavian's own soldiers as a reward for their victory over Anthony. During these years, retiring Roman soldiers could get a significant land grant in Philippi. When Paul visited Philippi in 59 AD, the city had a mixed culture. Let's look at Acts 16 and trace some of Paul's activities on his travels to the city. We're going to read from Acts 16, starting in verse 6. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region after being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and pleading with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately sought to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So after setting sail from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were spending some days in this city. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside, where we were thinking that there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. So here's a map of Paul's first two missionary journeys. Uh, You have Jerusalem down toward the lower right-hand side, 
and you've got Macedonia, where Philippi is, up in the upper left corner. Uh, the blue lines on here indicate Paul's first missionary journey. It's a short blue line running through Cyprus and then on up into uh, southern Turkey. Now, when Paul set out for his second missionary journey, where was he intending to go? The actual journey is marked in red. But take a look. This black circle shows the area that Paul was trying to go to. He was trying to spread the gospel to Asia, which, if the circle was a face of a clock, that would be down around 7 or 8 o'clock. Uh, he then went to Phrygia and Galatia, and that's toward the center of the circle. And then finally, he tried to get into Bithynia, which would be up around the 10, 30, 11 o'clock area on this, the circle. But God did not allow him to stop and preach the gospel in any of these areas he was trying to explore. So Paul and his entourage went to the city of Troas, marked on the map with another circle. And the four men waited there, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. Then Paul had a vision in the night of a man from Macedonia, Greece, modern-day Greece, who was standing and pleading with him, saying, come over and help us. And Luke records that when Paul had seen this vision, the group immediately sought to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called them to preach the gospel in Macedonia. So they set sail from Troas. They ran a straight course to Samothrace, Samothrace, they say, and on the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi. Now the map shows a circle around the small island of Samothrace where they stopped and Neapolis is just uh, a little bit 10 miles below Philippi. After arriving in Philippi, Luke records that on the Sabbath, they went outside the gate to the riverside and they were looking for a place of prayer where people might be gathering to do that. Paul's habit when he went to cities was to go to the synagogue first and uh, address the Jewish population there and the Jewish leaders. Uh, in the case of Philippi, there presumably wasn't a synagogue there. Uh, history says that the rules for establishing a synagogue w were that you had to have 10 Jewish men in a city in order to establish a full-fledged synagogue. So all those who were Jews or were God-fearers were meeting down by the riverbank. And this is where Paul found a group of women who had assembled and were praying, and he uh, addressed them there. Reading on, a woman named Lydia was listening. She was a seller of purple fabrics from the city of Thyatira and a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Now, when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave woman who had the spirit of divination met us, who was bringing great profit to her masters by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us and cried out repeatedly, saying, These men are bond servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Now she continued doing this for many days, 
But Paul was greatly annoyed, and he turned to her and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. So, at the top of this page, Luke is talking about a woman named Lydia, who is in this group of women at the riverside, a God-fearer. And she was listening to what Paul had to say. We read of the action the Lord took. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Paul did everything he could do. He went to the region that he was directed to. Uh, He went down to the riverbank, figuring out that that's the place where the God-fearers would be meeting to pray on the Sabbath. And he met with them, and he spoke. And God did what only God could do. He opened her heart. This woman and her house become the headquarters for Paul while he's there in Philippi and becomes the probably the starting place for the church where they initially met in the early days of their existence. Next, there is an odd event that happens. A slave woman or young girl, uh, the word could mean either, who had a spirit of divination, uh, an evil spirit, began following them and announcing, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation. It may seem strange that the spirit was uh, identifying who they were, uh, that they were following God and proclaiming salvation. But frequently in the Gospels, uh, demon-possessed individuals would identify Jesus Christ by name. I think part, maybe part of the strategy is that it would uh, disrupt the work that Paul was trying to do in going around and talking to people about the Gospel. In any event, it was highly annoying. And you have to give Paul credit uh, they, she did it for many days. And finally, Paul turned and commanded the spirit to come out of her. We're not told whether this girl uh, eventually came to know the Lord or not. It's not in the text. The purpose of the story is not to communicate that in the text. Uh, but often in the Gospels, when Jesus would cast out spirits, Uh, these folks would end up as followers or disciples of his. So I imagine Paul might have followed up and uh, certainly invited the girl along to the meeting down on the shore of the river. So she possibly would be the second recorded conversion in this account. This confrontation with the slave girl uh, was certainly to set up this dangerous confrontation with the leaders of the town reading on. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was suddenly gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men, Jews as they are, are causing our city trouble. And they are proclaiming customs that are not lawful for us to accept or to practice since we are Romans. The crowd joined in an attack against them. The chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, 
threw them into the inner prison, and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. The owners of the slave were incensed, and dragged Paul and Silas down to the magistrates, and with the whole town against them, the magistrates ordered that they be beaten. Uh, so here Paul and Silas are in the jail. Uh, they have to be very uncomfortable from that beating, and their feet are in stock, so they can't even move around and find a way to get comfortable. And the surprising reaction is they're singing and praying to God. I guess you could say with that, they had done everything they could. And then God acts and brings this earthquake that shakes the whole foundations of the jail uh, to the point that all the chains fall off. Reading on, when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, thinking that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer asked for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of God to him, together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them, and was overjoyed since he had become a believer in God together with his whole household. So the jailer, jolted awake by the earthquake, rubbing sleep out of his eyes, uh, can't believe what he sees, that all the chains have fallen off, and uh, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Don't forget, he was charged by the magistrates to guard Paul and Silas securely. Uh, there's also evidence that jailers of that period were held personally responsible for the uh, prisoners in their charge and that their life was not worth much uh, if they failed at that duty. In any event, shook him to the core. And the fact uh, that they were all there and whether it was Paul and Silas having reached, gotten through to the prisoners and encouraged them to stay there and, and were listened to or, or s some other part of this miracle, uh, all the prisoners were there. The jailer was moved to ask the question, What's, what must I do to be saved? And we have the second recorded conversion for sure in the city of Philippi. Let's think for a minute about these two new believers and compare them. One obvious difference between them is you have a female and a male. A second thing is socioeconomic status. Lydia was high on the economic scale being a trader in purple cloth. Purple cloth was used by royalty. It was highly sought after. It was very expensive. Uh, she has a house that could easily take care of these four men who were traveling around spreading the gospel. The uh, jailer was down there in the working class. 
And then if we want to count the slave girl as well, you have another whole level below that, the slave class. Another thing, uh, Lydia was a God-fearer. She was uh, looking for God. She was serving the God she knew about, the, the Jews' uh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We don't have any information on the Philippian jailer. He could have worshipped Roman gods, uh, pagan gods, or no god at all. And of course, if we include the slave girl again, well, here was someone who was under the control of demonic powers. So you have a real range of sort of spiritual journey to that point for the converts. Finally, let me just mention that what God did for Lydia was open her heart. What God did or had to do for the Philippian jailer was shake him up. And God had to release the slave girl from her bondage to demonic powers. They represent quite a range of people. And isn't that what the church is composed of? A lot of different people meeting together because they do have one thing in common. Jesus. Looking from Paul's perspective, who was it that Jesus sent him to Philippi for? He didn't know. He just had to go around the town, spread the gospel, and God was going to reach the hearts and the people that he wanted to get to all along. With that in mind, I want to bring up one last point, and that is the issue of God's guidance, what I referenced at the beginning of this message. Uh, and I've got a chart here I wanted to run through that talks about, through this passage, each occasion or catalyst then what Paul's action was, what God's action was, and what the result came out to be. So in the first place, Paul set out on a missionary journey. He determined to go out and spread the gospel. And we read about how he tried to go here, there, a lot of different places, and God thwarted those attempts. Instead, God sent him a dream. Uh, and so you have the occasion is the missionary journey. Paul tried to go to a lot of places. God's action here was he didn't allow that, directed him to Philippi. The result was Paul went to Philippi. The occasion once he was in Philippi was the Sabbath day. So on the Sabbath day, what did Paul do? He went to the river expecting people to be meeting there. And sure enough, there were people. What was God's action? God opened Lydia's heart. Lydia and her house were saved and became an anchor of the church. That was the result. Later, a demon-possessed slave girl followed Paul. And Paul's action, after he got very annoyed, was to rebuke the spirit. God's action, the spirit was driven out. The result was the slave girl was free from the spirit. And perhaps... She became a believer, we don't know. Finally, the occasion was Paul was in stocks in the jail. Paul's action, singing and praising God. God's action, he caused an earthquake. The result of that was the jailer and his house were saved. What does that have to do with guidance? Good question. Let's think about it for a minute. Paul wasn't sitting at home waiting for God to send him a note that said, I want you to go to Philippi, to the jailer's house, because I want you to talk to him about the gospel 
and get him to believe. No, Paul had taken initiative. He had stepped out to go spread the gospel. Paul was operating in partnership with God in spreading the gospel and in living out the truth of God. God told the church at Corinth, we are God's fellow workers. We don't fit the picture of people looking forward to sitting around on clouds and playing harps. No, we've been given new life and God is at work in us, seeing to it that this new life works itself all through us and out of us so that we change, we get transformed into the image of Christ. And being transformed, that our lives, who we are, what we do, as well as what we say, can impact others. The big question is, how do we know who are going to be impacted by what we do? Well, we have to do just like Paul. In our partnership with God, we have to step out, look for God's guidance to steer us as we go, bring all our problems to him, and let him do his work. That's the great thing. We can count on God to get accomplished what he wants. In practical terms, what does that mean? Well, that means as we go through our day, it's best if we keep in mind that principle that God wants to join with us, both in changing us and in impacting others. So we commit everything to him. We pray and tell him what we've planned for the day and ask for that guidance. When we're at work, we bring problems to him, our concerns. Uh, whenever we talk with people, we think, how can I encourage this person or, or point them to, the, to God somehow? Uh, when we do that, uh, and God will guide us, and we should be looking for that guidance as it happens. So just in summary, let me say, we're always being called to join into partnership with God. That's what he longs to do with us, uh, both to change us and to impact others. Secondly, God expects us to use our own minds and make plans. We should plan to try to be encouraging. We should plan to turn our hearts and minds to God as we go through the day. And then number three, as we do that, as we commit ourselves to the Lord, as we bring him into our entire day, he will guide us and he will make sure that we end up where we're supposed to be. God will guide and he will do what he does best, which is creating miracles in our lives and the lives of others. You know, Paul was a professional missionary specializing in going to unreached towns and villages to share the gospel. And God provided him guidance in that context. You and I have different jobs, but God has the same intense desire to use us, to see us grow in faith and partner with him in helping to show the gospel to others and in changing and becoming more like Christ all the time. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time. We do commit our way to you. We're so excited and grateful that you are interested in partnering with us, that we can have a part in your great work. Lord, make us sensitive to uh, see and notice the times that 
you have us uh, in a certain place at a certain time that we might be encouragement, we might be your messengers in that moment for the people that are around us. We thank you in your name. Amen. Thank you. Have a great week.